Welcome to the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world. Hello and welcome to the Project Zion podcast. I'm your host, Carla Long, and you are listening to Percolating on Faith a series where we talk about super smart things and you walk away feeling smart for a really long time. We're here with our wonderful, wonderful guests, Charmaine and Tony Shavala-Smith. Hello, Charmaine. Hello, Tony. Hi, Carla. Good to be with you. Hi, Carla. And we always feel a little smarter after we do these two, I I guess. I think we do. (laughs) You don't feel like all your smarts just like leak out into this podcast? Well, it's leaking out, but then we're stuffing it right back in. So that's that's, that accounts for it. Or it's just being in your presence, Carla. That's what does it. Oh my goodness. That's not true, but I'll take it. Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about liberation theodicy. And if you don't know what a theodicy is, first of all, we're going to tell you. And second of all, you should listen to the other um, podcasts that we've had about theodicies. There've been a lot because there's a lot of different types. There's been about five or so, we think. So before we jump into liberation theodicy, what is a theodicy? So our go-to definition is that it's, it's kind of the theodicy, a theodicy starts with the question, what is the relationship between God and the suffering and evil that we find in the world? So that's the question. And then there's like four prongs to this question, four implications of this question. And we put those in the, in the shape of of questions as well. Why are suffering and evil so present in human experience and and in the world? Second one, why did God create a world in which suffering and evil are possible? Three, what does this say about the nature of God? And four, why doesn't God protect us from evil and suffering? Or another way to, to another angle to go on that is or where is God when we are suffering? And so as we looked at each of these theodicies, or like today, a group of theodicies, really, um, we um, we try to address some of those questions. So a theodicy is kind of a theoretical way of answering one or more of, of those four questions that I just mentioned. And I think it's really important to stress that. Uh... A theodicy can never be treated as the answer to the problem of suffering and evil. Um, And thinking of it as a theoretical approach really is helpful because that keeps reminding us that we're in the presence of a variety of mysteries. The biggest of the mysteries is the mystery we call God and our faith claims and experience about God as loving, wise, etc. But then also we're in the, the, the presence of a mystery that we call evil. Uh, which is pretty easy to see, especially if you look at human history and human experience. So we we don't want to say that a theory solves these problems, because when people are in the middle of suffering and really hurting and have horrible losses in their life, the last thing they need is a theory. <laughs> so so yeah, the, the theoretical approach does give us some different handholds for dealing with the reality of the questions. Yeah. And so we've this is our sixth sixth i think mm-hmm. and so the theodicies we've already looked at are the irenaean the augustinian protest theodicy uh, jesus narrative theodicy and process theodicy so actually that's one two three four so this is the sixth yeah and then we had an initial one on why do bad things happen happen, <laughs> Just happen. <laughs> so so yeah, so this this one will kind of round out our our approach, our round out our series, and it's a good one to end on. And of course, we'll we'll just we keep foot, footnoting Migliori, uh, faith seeking understanding, who gives great introductions to all these, and then Bradley Hansen's introduction to Christian theology, which we rely on a lot, and plus a lot of other stuff that we read too too, too numerous to name here. But but we we may occasionally today throw in some book titles for people who are interested. So. So let's jump in then, Carla, to liberation theodicy, or we'll say liberation theodicies. There's a variety here clustered around some ideas. So, And, and basically, we start with the idea that liberation theologies um, just very naturally 
take us into places where we look at what is the nature of suffering and pain and and evil in the world. And this one probably more than others um, gives some explanation for some of the evil and injustice in the world. So this this is a, an approach to the problem of suffering and evil that recognizes that built into human cultures and systems, i.e. by human beings, is unfairness and injustice that privilege some people and marginalize others, sometimes a lot of others. And this, this unfairness and injustice are major causes of suffering in the world. Now, this is not a, a, a meta explanation, not all suffering that comes in the world. I mean, if a, if if a tree if a tree falls on your your house in a storm and you know and 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 damages the house injures family members or even kills family members that may not easily be attributable to human injustice it may be a, a natural act and we live in a world where we're vulnerable to that kind of stuff so but what what liberation theodicies are interested in is the kinds of suffering and evil that have human systemic causes where where people create systems and intentionally systems. intentionality is a big part of that so um so liberation theodicies are trying to address and then challenge and one more piece change so there's an action part in this theodicy to change both the suffering uh the evil and the pain that are caused by these unjust systems and try to change the systems themselves so Charmaine mentioned that liberation theodicies kind of flow out of theologies of liberation and uh, theologies of liberation. There's a variety of them. They have, they all have as kind of their central or shared concern, how to apply the resources of the Christian faith to the, 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 the prospect, prospect of liberating people from unjust or oppressive systems, whether they're political, economic, uh, social, gender, racial, religious, whatever. Um, so for example, black liberation theology, um, feminist theologies, womanist theologies, which are, in a sense, Black women's experience uh, in a liberation vein. Uh, Latin American liberation theologies, which are old and vener venerable at this point. And then Mujerista theology, which is, for example, which is Latin American women theologians thinking about such suffering from their perspective. Uh, there's a Korean theology called Minjung theology, uh, eco-theology, eco-feminist theology, queer theology, post-colonial theology. There's a lot of these that have some kind of liberative lands to them. And if we back up into the 19th century, uh, people like Frederick Douglass in the United States uh, and Walter Rauschenbusch, great social gospel theologian, they were already doing some of this kind of kind of work uh, before before the 20th century. Uh, liberation theologies got got going. So, but they all have this central concern: Does Christianity have anything to say and contribute to the problem of human suffering? Um, excuse me. Other than, well, when you die, you're going to be okay, right? <laughs> uh, there's got to be more to contribute, and so uh, liberation theologies have been on that for a long time. And a, a liberation theodicy then uses liberation lenses to deal with the problem of suffering and evil. Mm -hmm. Because of that, Jesus is often the prime focus of many liberation theodicies, because um, it's very easy to see Jesus as one who understood and was trying to unravel the systemic injustices of his time. You know, if you think of the judgment and prejudice that his religious culture had toward like the woman who was washing his feet, who was supposedly a, a prostitute in Luke 7. You know, he holds her up in the conversation <laughs> as a good example of what it means to accept God's love. You know, he is acknowledging her personhood, her, you know, there's dignity and there's respect there. And he's going beyond that to say, this woman who you are despising and looking down on is the best example here of what it means to accept God's love and forgiveness. Um, you know, other examples would be the, the Samaritan woman at the well in the gospel of John, um, who um, both Jews, Jews would look down on him for having had this conversation 
and her own people uh, had judged her and seen her as unfit to be in their midst. And yet she becomes the, the um, one who invites her whole village to, to know Jesus. Uh, so it's a, that switch again of these places where people are um, placed low on the on the bottom rungs of society and jesus says no this is the person who brings the message um another one might be jesus parable about the rich man and lazarus uh, which i always love that one because the rich man even after he dies still thinks he has privilege and that it matters (laughs) And, and so jesus is like putting this spotlight on what this rich guy figures he deserves from the universe just because of who he is. And Jesus goes, no, you know, (laughs) Lazarus, Lazarus is the one who is nearest to God, Um, which would have been, oh my goodness, scandalous for, for those who saw themselves as, you know, religious or pious or, or, well thought of in their culture. So I just love how Jesus keeps doing this. It's like, nana, nana, (laughs) you you all who think you're extra special and good, you know, not so much. Um, Or think about Jesus, how he disregards cultural fears and exclusions by touching lepers and uh, freeing them, you know, giving them back their personhood and letting them Um, even before he brings healing to them, he, he helps them know their value as human beings, whether by touching them, acknowledging them, um, taking them seriously. So, so Jesus is for many of these, um, both the liberation theologies and then the theodicies, Jesus is kind of a focal point. So what we'll do next is we'll just give some other like key, key points on liberation theodicy and, this time, we're, we what we've done with our with our in our notes is we've we've given some little little bolded headings that will be hopefully hopefully be, <laughs> for listeners will be like the the short version of each of these po- points. So, for example, the the first of our points is the marginalized see what God is about. The marginalizers don't, <laughs> right? So, um, liberation theology looks to the example of Jesus and the Hebrew prophets. Um, as its basis for affirming the dignity of all persons, but especially those, especially those marginalized, shoved to the sides, pushed to the corners, taken advantage of mm-hmm, uh, by societies, institutions, cultures, and religious religious uh, organizations, and so on. Jesus, Jesus is all over that. The Hebrew prophets were all over that, and also the Hebrew prophets were especially uh, vocal about religion used in the service of oppression of others. So. Um, a liberation theology and the theodicies that come from it believe that those who ex- who's, who experience being treated as less than are the ones who are most likely to clearly grasp accepting, loving, and liberating power of God, uh, which is most easily seen in Christ. They're the ones who are going to get it. Um, and that's, that's a really important thing here because dealing with systemic suffering, oppression, and evil uh, requires us uh, to pay attention and listen to those who are experiencing that and to pay attention to their experience of God in the midst of that. So a second characteristic, uh, faith equals challenging injustice. So in these theologies and therefore in the theodicies, um, they're reinterpreting aspects of Christian faith, such as scripture and tradition, in ways that empower the oppressed and the voiceless and the disenfranchised and encourage people to challenge and change systems that dehumanize them and others. So um, this is in this, one of these characteristics of liberation theodicies is that it's about action. It's not just about some ideas in our heads Mm -hmm. that we carry around and feel good about because, oh yes, I understand this. No, it doesn't mean anything if we're not acting on it. And if we're not trying to find ways here and now to um, lessen um, suffering, to lessen injustice and to, to bring in, in some ways, this is the most kingdom of God 
of the theodicies. Mm-hmm. It's about bringing the kingdom of God here now actively um, because we see, recognize in the systems, the ways that it is dehumanizing, uh, that it's dismissive. So our, our, the next heading we would say is that uh, God's justice in the here and now, that's what's so important in liberation theodicies. So liberation theodicies will reject uh, interpretations of suffering that see faith in God is primarily about a reward in the afterlife. You just have to put up with it here. Things will be better when you die. You know, pie, pie and pie in the sky, by and by. You know, liberation theodicies say that's that's a smoke screen that covers up the privilege of the privilege. And uh, God is instead acting in our presence, in our in our midst to help us be free from that. So liberation theodicy insists that God wants people to fight for and establish justice in this world. And so, I, you know, community of Christ people, I think when they when they hear that, they might say, oh, that connects, that ought to connect to some of our kingdom of God talk. Well, indeed, it, it does. And one of the first people to see that in our tradition was Fred M. Smith back in the early 20th century, who, who was very well read in social gospel theology and who, who talked openly in, in his sermons about how the how Christianity ought to be a force for helping the laborers, pe- you know, the, the people in who who worked, not just management, get fair wages and just treatment. So that's pretty pretty liberative thing for uh, one of our presidents to have said back in the early early 20th century. But it's not about then and there; it's about here and now. And, and so, process theodicies want want to do whatever they can to make a difference to suffer about suffering right now. So this is similar to what I was saying earlier, but it's about action, not theories. So liberation theodicies are interested in, in practical, in ethical actions that will produce equity and justice. They're not usually interested in the theoretical questions about the nature or the origins of evil or of suffering necessarily. Sometimes that's, I mean, there's there's this pre, this there's acknowledgement that it is the systems that are around us and within us. Um, And so the question, if God is all powerful and all loving, why does God allow evil and suffering? That's not helpful (laughs) in liberation theodicies, because it's not about trying to determine uh, who God is, but it is about how can we act on what we know uh, or have experienced of God? And the, and that's the kind of question that the educated privileged people get to ask because they're doing just fine, right? Let's, let's think theoretically about this issue uh, and uh, are not having to deal with horrible treatment in the factory or uh, sexual abuse and harassment and whatever. They're not having to deal with that. Uh, so, yeah. And even in like the the most shallowest way, you know, like a lot of people who are marginalized may wonder where their next meal is coming from. They wonder where they're going to sleep at night. They don't have the time to even think, to even think about that kind of stuff. Like all, a lot of their, um, brain space is taken up by how am I surviving? (laughs) And that's especially true with people who have trauma and, and are just surviving is that they're, they can't, they're so necessarily tied into how do I get my next meal? How do I take care of my children? How do we have a place to live? Um, They can't step back and look at these bigger issues, but quite often they see and feel these systems that are Mm -hmm. causing pain and suffering. And they often can identify with what's being said in these theodicies um, without having to to have to have a degree of any kind <laughs> to to be able to understand it and and a liberation theologian is going to say that first of all let's get them fed mm-hmm. and then the second thing liberation theology is going to say of, of its very many types is and then let's figure out why they're hungry and then we might need to get involved politically mm-hmm. because it's very likely for example in the united states a, a, a country that's that's awash in food why why are so many school age kids hungry all the time. Why is why is food a, a, a short commodity for, for many people who are like the working poor and so on? Why are they working poor? Well, liberation theodicy says it's not just that there's a hunger problem, it's that there's a justice problem. 
And so we're going to deal with that too. And we're going to name it mm -hmm. and deal with it. So, and in relation to that whole thing about the question of, you know, if, if God is all loving and all powerful, how could an all loving, all powerful God allow suffering? Um, James Cohn, who's a black liberation uh, theologian, uh, it says, and that we, and this is from Meliori's book, uh, Faith Seeking Understanding. He he quote he says of of James Cone, he refuses to diminish either the divine power or the divine goodness of God in order to arrive at an intellectually satisfying resolution of the dilemma. So it's not about making it a nice tidy idea in our heads so we can feel good about it. It's uh, it's about letting the rawness of it all. Um, be present and and not a, not trying to cover it over. Yeah, and I, and I think if anybody wants to to dive into some of these kinds of theologies and theodicies, James Cohn is like the the classic the classic theologian to read here. I think he's really really good. So another, the next point we want to make, and this is true of especially Latin American liberation theology, but other other types. Um, God stands with the oppressed and the poor. Um, so liberation theodicy insists that God actively chooses to be present with the poor and oppressed peoples of the earth in their suffering. And here's the thing that, that usually bothers <laughs> middle-class white people. God takes their side, right? We think of God, you know, we've, we've dealt with this in Sunday school classes before where, where, you know, people uh, say God is no respecter of persons, God's no respecter of persons and God treats everybody equally. It's like, no, why don't you read the Bible a little close, more closely God is found suffering with the poor in the prophets, in Jesus, and in other parts of the New Testament. And so liberation theologians long ago developed uh, what they called the, the preferential option for the poor. That is, As a way of understanding yeah. God's having chosen the poor to identify with and to stand with. Uh, and that's this, this you can find plenty of uh, very biblical support for. But the idea here is yes. that not that God loves the less rich. Uh, loves the rich less. <laughs> it's that God aligns with the poor and experiences things with them, which then requires, ought to require the rich to repent. <laughs> That's how this works in liberation theology. And, and so um, it's, it matters, it matters a lot. Uh, what we think about God affects all kinds of aspects of our life. And it matters a lot if we think that God will be, God will be found first in the poor child in a burial in Latin America, uh, who's struggling every day just to survive. Uh, if we look there to see God first, that should have an impact on our thinking and our behavior. And kind of going along with that is our next one, which is Jesus is God with us in our suffering. And most expressions of liberation theodicies believe that God uh, that Jesus reveals God's special concern for those who suffer and Jesus own unjust death on the cross reveals a God who's experienced marginalization and thus who, who understands and wants to accompany those who are oppressed in the world. Um, in Jesus, again, as we said earlier, God takes the side of the poor, the oppressed, the tortured, the abused, etc. And then our, our next one, I, uh, a heading for it would be no to religiously sponsored passivity, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? So liberation theologies would reject interpretations of Christianity that teach people to just submit to injustice or just tolerate unjust or oppressive governments or systems or relationships. Um, it's it's not it's not about tolerating evil here. Instead. These theodicies would, would focus on Jesus' message about seeking to create God's kingdom, God's reign of justice and peace here on earth. Um, and some liberation theodicies uh, focus on the, will, will focus especially on the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus because they find they're like a major theological resources for facing suffering and combating evil structures. For example, if, they, if an evil empire with the collusion of religious authorities uh, murdered Jesus in public, and on Easter, God raised Jesus from the dead, hmm, that says about something <laughs> about where God's priorities are. <laughs> and that, uh, for, for many liberation theologians, that gives a whole new set of images and a kind of courage to 
to stop being passive in the face of evil and injustice in the world. Um, back to James Cone for, se for a second. Uh, me, uh, Meliori, we're quoting Meliori again here. He says that Cone interprets the biblical tradition with its many approaches to the problem of evil as a call to courageous human participation in God's struggle against suffering rather than a pious acquiescence to suffering, end quote. There's all kinds of suffering and evil in the world that, are, that have human causes and acquiescing to it or just quote unquote taking it is not a Christian virtue. In other words, what the what liberation theologian were saying. Um, it's, it's clapping your hands for the powers that are oppressing you. And then uh, Cohen himself says that God grants power to the powerless to fight here and now for the freedom they know to be theirs in Jesus' cross and resurrection. In other words, be, for Cohen, especially, Jesus' cross and resurrection is kind of the, the Magna Carta of our freedom. And, and therefore, it, that, that story and the spiritual power that comes from it gives us the power to fight for a freedom that has already been given, but is being stamped on by oppressive powers that don't want to let that happen. So, so anyway, that, that, this is kind of a, a quick overview of liberation theodicies. It's about action. It's about doing whatever we can. We'll say in the name of Jesus to change the systems that create uh, some kinds of human suffering and abuse. And we might add here that it's this is getting to be a more complicated picture in the sense that we used to distinguish, you know, uh, moral evil from natural evil, right? Natural evil was uh, somebody struck by lightning and killed. That's really sad. Uh, unless they were intentionally wearing golf shoes out in the storm, there was probably nothing they could, <laughs> they, they could have been, it just happened, right? We used to say that was natural evil. And then moral evil is humanly caused stuff. Well, the climate crisis we're in is actually confusing the lines here because if, if someone, if people die because of horrible, horrible storms, we have been warned for 30 years about because of human activity that creates climate change, then is natural evil any longer a category there, right? So we have to we have to be able to, to see that those lines have become blurred by human activity. So liberation theodicies want to, want to deal with whatever human beings have complicity and that causes pain and suffering for other human beings. That doesn't mean that Accidents won't happen. That disease won't happen. Um, you know that 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 individuals might do things that are evil and bad, right? In in by by themselves. But there are all kinds, uh, many many forms of pain in human experience that are caused by others that are connected to political, economic, uh, gender, and racial systems that ought not be. And so liberation theodicies want to say, let's name those and, and let's push against them. So if you want to get a sense of what some of these theodicies look like, um, if, if, uh, if movies are a place that you go to kind of get a good sense of something, the movie uh, Romero gives a very good example of how do you live out a um, a Latin American liberation theodicy. And you'll see that in the person of Romero. Um, but also Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., you know, what, what about his writings and his sermons and um, not just his sermons, but his speeches too, that are doing exactly this, are pointing to the system's that are intentionally oppressing people. Uh, Elizabeth Johnson, who is uh, an Roman Catholic, is Roman Catholic, but she's an eco-feminist, and uh, so she she speaks of, um, you know, what are we doing to the earth and ourselves? Um, James Cone, we've already mentioned. Uh, Ebony Marshall Terman is a, a, a womanist theologian who uh, is just fun to listen to. If you just want to take a peek on YouTube. Her sermons are really powerful. So. Uh, other, other people that might help you get a sense of this would be someone like um, Yvette Flunder in her book, Where the Edges Gather. And um, she has a series of sermons there 
that use scripture in ways that really um, help us get at um, how do we, how can we act? How can we feel? How can we think in ways that bring liberation to people? And if, and if anybody's interested in, in, uh, Womanist Theology, Stephanie Mitchum's book, Introducing Womanist Theology, is a good place to start. And then uh, Ada Maria Isasi Diaz and Fernando Segovia's Hispanic Latino Theology, that's that's a great collection of, of stuff on uh, various forms of Latino, Latinx kinds of theology that deal with many of the issues of justice, injustice, and suffering. So lots of places to go on this. Like I say, there's many different kinds. And uh, uh, the, it, you're only limited by how much reading time you have on this one. <laughs> <laughs> or watching time, because, again, there's some very good movies that would help you see what this looks like um, and get a feel for how it can matter in the world. So next place we'll go is I'll do some reflecting on how to preach a liberation theodicy, and then we'll go on to how to pray a liberation theodicy. And... And we'll just see, Carl, if you have any questions or pushbacks or whatever we want to do. So I'll preach a liberation theodicy. And this will be the last time people hear me say this, but <laughs> we don't actually preach theodicies because they're they're theoretical constructs, at least per se, we don't. Um, and as I've said, again, you have people sitting in a congregation on any given morning, uh, whether that's in person or on Zoom, Um who are dealing with like all kinds of horrible things that they uh, perhaps have not even been able to voice or fear voicing. There's there's pain, struggle, loss, uh, much of it connected to justice and injustice too. Um, and so the last thing people need to hear from the pulpit is somebody with an authoritative voice trying to say, here's the answer to the problem of suffering and evil for you, right? That's So we don't preach theodicies like that. Um, we don't have elixirs or quick fixes. Um, a th liberation theodicy, though, can give you some lenses for how to approach the task of preaching. So, I mean, in, in one particular way, or one, one very real way, all preaching should be liberative, meaning it should aim, aim to help free people from binding forces and structures. And for, now this is really important in Christian theology, freed from, but what for? Freed for lives live more fully in openness to God, neighbor, enemy, self, creation. Um, or in other words, we're freed from the things that bind us to live for, not self, but the reign of God as embodied in Jesus. Really important to keep those two things together. Um, we're not freed from stuff to have a free for all. <laughs> Right. Uh, it's it's to live in in love, which is self-giving concern for others and for the planet. So uh, a liberation, you know, all preaching should be liberative in that way, regardless of whether it uses a liberation lens or not. Another thing is that as a particular lens, this theodicy would reject uh, preaching that explicitly or implicitly encourages passivity in the face of humanly caused or perpetuated evil and injustice in the world. Um, it's, you, you know, when, when the whole nation has witnessed on TV a racist murder of an African-American by a white policeman, which we did a couple of years ago, um, the, the, last, the, last, the worst thing to happen on Sunday morning after that is for somebody to say nothing, right? Because that's that's a, that becomes a form of complicity in the structure that that made that even possible. So this this lens then, as I said, it it rejects it helps us reject the idea that we we just are ethically neutral or passive in the face of of uh, the kinds of evil and injustice human beings perpetuate in the world. Another thing is that uh, salvation is a central word in Christian theology, but <laughs> here's the problem with the word salvation layer upon layer of pietistic, individualistic, evangelical heaven talk has buried it, has buried its biblical sense in centuries of self-righteous debris. And so we, uh, the term salvation kind of makes a lot of us just pucker up when we hear it. It's, 
It's a it's an unpleasant term, and that's because of this layer upon layer of are you saved? Are you saved? Are you going to heaven? Blah blah blah. The problem is that from the, the liberation the, theodicies see the problem there, right? That lens then would help us keep in mind that salvation, in biblical terms, is really about liberation. I sometimes think if we if in English translations we should just simply not use the word salvation wherever the the word whatever whatever word is in Hebrew or Greek is there we should use the word liberation because that includes in the in the Bible in most cases it includes the political the social the economic as well as the individual sense and so liberation lens can help us recover the salvation is a big term not a narrow self-interested term um then another thing is that a liberation the theodicy lens can help the preacher adjust our vision to the political, social, economic, and gender dimensions that are in biblical texts. These texts have those dimensions in them. And, and so this lens can help us be aware, <laughs> not only of you know, my own privilege as a preacher, because when I stand up to preach, there's a sort of uh, varieties of, of layers of privilege going on there, but also it can help us be aware as we do our exegesis and pre preparation uh, to, to preach, to pay attention to things we're not used to paying attention to if we're a privileged person, like maybe the gender dynamics or the racial dynamics or ethnic dynamics that are in a text. So liberation lens can help us pay attention better. Um, I might also say, and this is following up on something Charmaine just mentioned, to, that uh, read or listen to some of Martin Luther King's or Ebony Marshall Terman's sermons and, and pay attention to how they use biblical themes in ways that are faithful to the texts but also show in and through those texts the divine call to work against injustice. Um, often biblical texts are doing two things at once. And so if you listen to good liberation preachers, you'll see how they pick up on that. And that's a good thing, to, a good skill to learn. Um, and then um, further, a, li a liberation lens can help a sermon uh, do two other complex things at the, at the once. The first thing, and this is hard, to name the principalities and powers that hold the church, hold church people captive. You know, we can't even see them sometimes, like, like racism um, uh, and sexism and so on, to, to help us name that. And then a liberation lens can also help us, help empower us to reject the passive victim status, that there's, you know, there's nothing we can do really about racism. It's all individual choice. We can't do anything about it, or we can't, do, we can't do anything about climate change, or this, this kind of passive victim status that lets us off the hook. Um, a liberation lens would say, uh, no, uh, follow the Bible. You're not off the hook on this. Um, we have to embrace God's work in creating a new future that leads toward the reign of God. Um, so, in other words, those two things have to happen at once, and liberation lenses can help us do that. Name the name the principalities and powers. And then help people reject that we're just passive victims and they're in face of them. Uh, so I think that's really, really, really important. Um, you know, that, that great line in the, the, Lord's, the Lord's Prayer, let your kingdom come, exclamation point. Let your will be done on earth. And what's implied there is by us, <laughs> uh, as it is in heaven, right? So... So uh, liberation lenses can help us see and, and, and get our minds around some of those things, which can then change the texture of, of preaching. Um, I think a lot of what you said is super duper important, but um, the thing that sticks out to me the most is talking about this from the pulpit and mentioning this from the pulpit. Um, actually, just, you know, you said, you know, after there's been an event that, <clears throat> that has shown an injustice, saying it from the pulpit is really, really important. And it should not matter our um, political identity, at least here in the United States, which is, is very polarized right now. Mm -hmm. It should not matter that if we, uh, I hear you say, correct me if I'm wrong, that as Christians, um, we, we should call out injustice whenever we see it and wherever we see it, even if it sounds different to a Democrat's ears or Republican's ears. Yeah. That that's a hard one. That's that I mean that's that's super important for me to hear, but that's that's really hard to put into practice. It's it's really hard in a polarized environment. Um the thing is it it's 
the gospel already is political. It always was. Um, now, it's different when you try to politicize it. That's a different thing. But it's, but there's already political dimensions here. And, and Martin Luther King Jr. said several times, uh, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And you, unless, that's, unless that's called out. And by injustice here, we're not talking about uh, Carla, Carla shared her candy corn with Charmaine and me, and she gave Carla, or she gave Charmaine four pieces in 23. I feel so unjustly treated. <laughs> no, we're not talking about injustice like that. We're talking about uh, socially sponsored abuse, right? Or uh, the, 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 the refusal to, to honor the dignity of all people. It's, it, it, that, it's that kind of stuff. So. So I think you're probably already getting a sense for this, and that is that within Community of Christ, this is actually a theodicy that is pretty important to us when we talk about peace and justice, especially. And the this next part, how to pray a liberation theodicy, actually, one of the places you can often see that if you follow along with the daily prayer for peace is some of our prayers for peace that are trying to put into words um, what it is we sense God calling us to as far as changing the world and the systems that are in it. So here's a few starter lines for praying uh, liberation theodicy. God, help me to see this culture more clearly, to see how it may have privileged me and caused me to see that my worth is greater than others. And you can go from there. <laughs> um, or God, I am so angry at how easily I am dismissed by others in power simply because, you know, and that we can personalize it from there, you know, because, because I'm female, because of the color of my skin, um, because I am poor or I'm uneducated or because of my appearance or of my sexual identity, because I have a, a, a criminal record, uh, because of my name or my tribe or my national identity or my immigration status. You know, so any of those, it's, it's praying to God from our anger and uh, recognition that things are not just. Um, God, help me not to be afraid to call out the unfairness of the oppressive systems around me and you know, the educational system, the justice system, the healthcare system, the immigration system, um, the religious systems around. So it, it can go lots of directions there. Another, just as Jesus ignored the conventions of his time so that he could bring healing and hope, God help me to not care about the pursed lips or the stares of disapproval that come as I speak out against injustice or march for justice or speak truth to power. Another, Holy Spirit, as a woman in this culture, I pray that you will help me claim my power and wisdom so that girls in the future will be able to distinguish your love and call in their lives from the restrictive approvals of this culture. Another, Jesus, help me not be discouraged in the work for equality when it's when the problem seems so big or when the change comes so slowly or when the world seems to be getting worse instead of better. Another, last one, source of love. As I try to learn what your justice looks like, help me learn humility and seek forgiveness for the ways I contribute to it. So lots of places to, to pray and then act um, <laughs> in this theodicy. Absolutely. That, that was beautiful, Charmaine. Thank you for those. That and what the when you talk about the pray the praying part in starting uh -huh. prayer, it really for me kind of helps cement <laughs> in my brain and make it concrete like what this actually means. Um, so I really appreciate that part a lot. Thank you so much for doing that. Well, and unlike the last one we did, which was process the Odyssey, 
this is one in which we, though we rely on our on our efforts and God's call for us to act, we also believe that God can help us, can help us changing our hearts, but also help us change those places in the world that uh, bring bring suffering. So I I think that's a a part that that I like about it. I like that part too. And we have a book, we have a book to recommend people on this whole theodicy topic. That's kind of a fun little book to, to work with. Yeah, it is called Why Is There Suffering? And the subtitle is Pick Your Own Theological Expedition. So it's kind of a find your own, um, you know, build your own adventure kind of book where depending on how you respond to a particular issue, it takes you to another place to explore different theodicies that that might fit well for you and the author's name is uh, bethany solerator s-o-l-l-e-r-e-d-e-r and she has she contributes to the magazine christian century once in a while and uh, this is an, an interesting and fun little book and and one of the things that i think is really good about it is that just by the way that it's set up it, it implies or it's probably actually more explicit than that that we probably don't have just one theodicy or we don't just need one theodicy, um, but that we probably at different parts in different parts of our lives or at different times in our lives um, rely on different of these theodicies that we've been talking about to help us make sense um, of what's happening, to help us connect to God, to help us know how to pray or how to act. Um, for the sake of others or for our own in our own suffering. And so I think that's a, a really helpful and healthy thing is to say, you know, you don't have to tie yourself to one theology or one theodicy, but that knowing about them gives you a wide variety of, of ways of processing the pieces of life that cause us to need a theodicy like suffering, like injustice, um, like the ideas of evil or of pain. So anyhow, it's a, it's a good little book if you want to explore it. And I think it would even be, it, you know, some senior hires might even find it accessible and young adults definitely would. Well, thank you for that. That's an excellent book recommendation. I'm so glad that you did that. Um, before we jump off this podcast, is there anything else you want to say about liberation theodicy that we didn't touch on yet? Uh, just that liberation theodicy and liberation theologies uh, have lots of relevance in community of Christ life if we'll let them. Mm -hmm. um, it just depends, right? Uh, we we have to we have to be willing to to become probably a more activist kind of church than we're used to being, <laughs> but. Uh, I think there's so much that's so powerful in these very in, whether it's whether it's Latin American liberation theology or uh, Black liberation theology or uh, Mujerista theology. There's so much we have to learn from these different voices that can can really inform and empower a church that says it's devoted to the cause of peace and justice in the world. And I think in our ongoing conversations about nonviolence as a church. I think we will find ourselves bumping up against some of the ideas that liberation theologies and theodicies are addressing. Um, and so I think it, it may be helpful for us in that conversation. And then maybe just, you know, one, we'll call it a final thought about all the theodicies we've covered, but um, all of us suffer and will suffer there, whether grief or loss or, it's going to be part of everybody's experience if it hasn't been. Surely it has for most listeners to these podcasts, but it's it is part of our our experience. And um, two things just to add is that one would be that suffering is never easy, but it's nearly impossible without a supportive community around you. Mm -hmm. So the the church remains infinitely important for people in the midst of suffering. And then the other thing is that in, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul makes this great statement. These, these, these three things abide, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. I think maybe he might have added, but the hardest of these is hope. <laughs> um, and so in the times we live in now, hope is really 
a hard discipline to practice, but sometimes the, the theodicies we, we've, we've worked through can give us little glimpses of what, what practicing hope can look like. They all have little glimpses of in different angles on what practicing hope can look like. And notice I say practicing hope. Hope's a discipline to practice, not just a feeling to have. And so, uh, and it's a very hard discipline to practice when things are difficult and tough. But anyway, um, reading these theologies and theodicies can can be a way to to get little nuggets of hope <laughs> to to hold on to as we all struggle on this journey called life, and as we struggle in the the, the journey of life together as disciples. Well, thank you so much, both of you. So the, this has just been just such a fascinating journey through suffering. <laughs> I You've suffered through this journey. Are you I have really just suffered through it. No, no, no. Just, uh, just like taking a different look at suffering has just been really fascinating. And just, I, I just really appreciated it. I really appreciated um, how we look at things is, is very important and how we view things is very important. So I just really, I'm really glad that you have taken the time to talk about this with us. Well, we found it personally helpful. And so I think it's one of those things that when we ask, you know, well, what good is theology? Well, actually, it sometimes makes us not feel alone. And it helps us to know that the things we're thinking or feeling or experiencing, um, that words can fit around them and that experience with God can be incorporated into them. And so I think that's, you know, it's one of the things mm -hmm. theology can do is give us um, a framework in which to, to know that our experience and our understanding of God is a shared thing. And Carla, some really good news for you now that we're done is that there's no really difficult Cheval Smith exam for you to have to take. <laughs> so, so we, we've, we've, so you don't have that to suffer. <laughs> I did a lot of suffering in your classes. That's for sure. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much, you two. You're the best. And I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Project Zion Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use. And while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines. 